Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Murphy, let's start by stipulating what everybody in the world is stipulating, which is that some of the tweets that Donald Trump sent out uh, over the weekend and into Monday uh, about this group of young uh, Democratic legislators, the squad, uh, were racist, blatantly and uh, unmistakably racist. And I don't want to dwell on that. It's outrageous and really, uh, I, in a minute, I want to ask you why more people on the Republican side aren't saying anything about it. But what I want to talk to you about is strategy, because as much as I hate to say it, the guy has a strategy. He's got a plan. He, he wants to elevate these four young women on the, uh, of color on the left, make them emblematic uh, of the Democratic Party. Uh, wants to, and, and by being as outrageous and offensive as he was, drive everyone to embrace them. Uh, I mean, you know, the thing about Donald Trump that I think all Democrats ought to be aware of is, um, you know, he is, he, he, he knows what he's doing uh, and he is, has no boundaries. And that is going to be a, a problem. He leaped right into this um, debate between Nancy Pelosi and uh, and and uh, Ocasio Cortez and the others uh, over the immigration bill, uh, and on Friday he started what is now a full blown fire. Uh, let's listen to that tape. I think Cortez, who kept Amazon out of New York, and they don't like her for that, thousands and thousands of jobs. I think Cortez is being very disrespectful to somebody that's been there a long time. I deal with Nancy Pelosi a lot, and we go back and forth, and it's fine. But I think that a group of people is being very disrespectful to her. And you know what? I don't think that Nancy can let that go on. A group of people that came from, I don't know where they came from. I'm looking at this Omar from Minnesota. And if one half of the things they're saying about her are true, she shouldn't even be in office. But Cortez should treat Nancy Pelosi with respect. She should not be doing what she's doing. And I'll tell you something about Nancy Pelosi that you know better than I do. She is not a racist, okay? She is not a racist. For them to call her a racist is a disgrace. So nothing you'd want more if you were Nancy Pelosi than Donald Trump's certification that you are not a racist. I'm sure she was very pleased to hear that. Yeah, made her career, I'm sure. You know, this thing is so 
so complex because it's operating on two different levels. And I think you might be giving Trump a little too much credit. I, I think his strategy is to just let his dark soul run wild with no filter on Twitter. He's not a president who has any respect for the head of state part of the office where you're supposed to not fan these kind of things. He's just so craven about it. So on one hand, you have this war within the Democratic Party and these young progressives are raising hell with the leadership. And they are a huge political opportunity for the Republican Party. I mean, there are four members I'd love to see not get reelected. I'm, as a conservative, pretty offended by a lot of the stuff they say, but it is legitimate. They are citizens. They are elected. And Trump can engage them on one level and score political points, uh, which is a message for the Dems. But instead, there's a missing White House bedsheet now, and he's jumping into pure Klan mode with with these racist tweets, which raise the thing above just a political spat and maybe an opportunity to a complete failure of the presidency. And I will say, you know, I'm a cranky never-Trumper. You've been hearing me complain about him for 10 years. I I am stunned at the silence in the Republican Party because this is so over the pale. If we are for anything, we cannot have this. And I, I think Mitt Romney may be speaking up today. There are a couple, but it is it is a tragedy to me that our party has decided to abandon any of its moral clarity on this because Trump is now and other things have happened that deserved it too. But but this is such an overstep to criticize these people based on heritage uh, rather than engage them on ideology where there's a huge political opportunity. Isn't this just a reflection of the reality, which is he is a Republican Party right now. He's got a 90 percent approval rating or something approaching it among Republicans. And Republicans are afraid. They're afraid because uh, they've seen Mark Sanford and others challenge him and disappear from the face of the political earth. And you know he'll shoot anything that moves and he carries a lot of weight with Republican voters. Yeah, I think there's a generic thing where Pauls are always afraid to take on an incumbent president in their party. They're afraid of tribal punishment. I think it's exaggerated with Trump because of his aggressive behavior. And frankly, I think there's a perception of strength that might be overstated. You know, the NBC poll we're going to talk about later shows about 45 percent of Republicans identify themselves as regular Republicans, not Trump Republicans. But that said, if they're silent, it doesn't matter. If nobody challenges him for the mantle, uh, he is the Republican Party and his moral stains become our moral stains. So uh, it's the great test. And I think the next 24 hours are going to be very important to see if the Ben Sasses, the Mitt Romneys, uh, others have the guts to get out there and say something here, something strong, too, not a, you know, not some namby-pamby thing where they, they wish he'd smile more and not, uh, not quite be as tough. It's, uh, it's a real test. Yeah, nobody has really, you know, the, the, what, what, what will really matter is does someone stand up and do something that actually um, hurts Trump in terms of his, his program or... Uh, you know, any of his initiatives or um, all of these. Yeah, you know, I don't, he probably doesn't like being criticized. I know he doesn't like being criticized. But the fact is, if everybody then falls in line, uh, you know, on vote after vote and position after position, uh, you know, it really doesn't mean much. We've seen people, you know, Senator Flake and others who've been outspoken, but then support him, you know, 95% of the time or something. Uh, yeah. and, no, no, know, no. For... It's, it's it's all puffery right now. It's an occasional tough adverb. It's not, as you say, real legislative opposition. And there's actually a market for it 
in in the Republican primary to give him some pushback, but nobody seems to want to take it. I, I think the other thing here, though, is a point you made earlier. I just want to hang a lantern on it. The Democrats have to be careful about giving Trump the war he wants because they can have all the mm-hmm. moral high ground and they have it on this. But if it if it comes down to a big racial identity war uh, in America, that is fuel for Trump's type of demagoguery. And yeah, well, they ought to think about snuffing out the oxygen rather than risk that bonfire, even though it's Trump's fault as a tactic in those Trump counties, there can be power in this. And they're, they're walking right into his, his framework right now. And see, the, I, the, I, the, I agree the, with this. And I think Democrats should call it out for what it is. It's a tactic. Uh, it's a tactic that he is using to try and advance uh, his, his political uh, project here, which is to define the Democratic Party far to the left, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, the, the open borders, the you know, the health care issue and so on, and to make the, you know, to make these the most controversial, controversial uh, uh, Democratic figures, the, uh, the emblem, it's kind of amusing to me that Pelosi is now too moderate to be demonized. Uh, and they yeah. need new, it's, a, it's been a new, change for me. I'll tell you, I had a career <laughs> trying to reduce our numbers in the House. And I'm actually a little sympathetic for just purely on the irritation factor of the squad. Um, they are, they are, and, and, you know, AOC, to be fair, she uses kind of watered down Trump tactics. She went right to race when she was criticized by Pelosi. Yeah. Which was a mistake. I, I, I actually think she's, uh, she's impressive. Uh, and you watch her handle herself on media very, very well. Uh, generally, uh, that was a mistake. The thing spun out of control and Trump's on opportunity here to split Democrats, but also to drive Democrats in that direction. And, uh, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe he just blundered into it. But they they have a very clear strategy, he and his campaign, and they're going to pursue it. And I'm sure that their digital folks, maybe we talked about this last week, but I'm sure their digital folks are are going to animate this battle. They're going to, you know, they're going to use some of it with their base, but also to try and split Democrats uh, with inflammatory messages on both yep. on both sides. So, uh, you know, I just think everybody needs to keep an eye on this guy's tactics uh, and, you know, not get lit on fire every time he does something outrageous and morally bankrupt. Um, the, the, the spotlight yep. ought to be on why he's doing it and what he's up to and how uh, best to react to it. Um, let us stipulate, as I did at the beginning, that it is it is really um, reprehensible, but no, we're going to no, see a steady diet. We're going to see a steady diet of this from now until November of 2020. So this is not for the squeamish. Everybody, fasten their seatbelts. It's going to be a very bumpy ride. And remember, it's a powerful tactic to occasionally deny a dancing partner. I mean, as somebody who's run a lot of campaigns against Democrats. There's nothing wrong, and the progressives will hate this, but the progressives are good at winning districts like AOCs, and there are about 20 of them in the country. Um, There's nothing wrong with putting on the old Teflon suit and winning the election. 
um, as opposed to trying to make everything a big stand on passion issues that get people who are already going to vote Democrat, wish they could vote twice. That is not how you beat Trump in the counties that put Trump over. Uh, you don't have to win those counties. you got to trim them there. And right now they're helping him do better. So I'm all for exposing and condemning. And again, Republicans owe it to the country to be part of that. But if they fall into this dialogue and we get one month, we're debating slave reparations and then we're into Medicare for all. And you keep teeing up Trump with issues he can demagogue, then it could be a very long election night for people who want to replace Trump. That said, the Wall Street Journal NBC poll came out over the weekend and uh, He's still uh, trailing uh, Joe Biden by nine points, uh, Bernie Sanders by seven points, Elizabeth Warren by five points, and Kamala Harris by a point. So, uh, you know, he, he's, he's still languishing there, and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that tells you something. I mean, that's a, he's languishing about where his approval rating has languished for the past uh, two, two and a half years, and... Um, that's his that's his challenge and yep. i think that's why you're seeing some of what you're seeing now he needs to uh, oh, yeah. he needs to uh, draw a big wedge between uh democrats and uh moderate suburban voters uh as one major target uh and this is part of it the polling has always said the same thing and every election day which is the real mark to market in politics where we get all the bs out of the way and vote has said the same thing. The country keeps trying to fire Trump. He's sitting on his 43, and he's the known quantity. He's not going to change. So from now to Election Day, it's all going to be, can Trump define the Democrat and change the topic of the election away from fire him to, oh, my God, they're even more scary. That is the whole deal here. So right now, the D's are doing pretty well because they're kind of softly known. But if the Democrats don't get some Teflon here and how they nominate and what issues they run on and let Trump put them in the hole where basically an AOC proxy is the Democratic nominee or at least perceived to be, that's Trump's path. That's the whole race. So this is so important that the D's figure this out or they're going to give Trump a tool to work with and the numbers aren't going to look anything like this after the, you know, the pie has been cooked and the Democrat has been defined. So uh, who that Democrat will be is obviously uh, the $64,000 question. In this poll, uh, Joe Biden continues to lead at 26, Elizabeth Warren 19, Harris 13, Sanders 13, and uh, Buttigieg at 7. But the interesting thing to me uh, are two other questions they followed with. Which of the remaining candidates would you uh, would be your second choice or is in, uh, in your mind, or is your mind definitely made up? Kamala Harris was the top uh, uh, person there with 14%, Elizabeth Warren, 13 Sanders and Biden uh, behind, and then Buttigieg. And then another question, leaving aside the candidate you support or your second choice, are there any other Democrat candidates who you would consider supporting but want to learn more about? Kamala Harris, 16%, yep. Buttigieg, 14 Elizabeth Warren, 12 uh, uh, Biden and Sanders are below because... People know a lot about them. What this says to me uh, is that, um, you know, these candidates, particularly Harris, have an opportunity here that people are open to her if she develops a message uh, that uh, comes through. And we've talked about this before. We haven't seen that yet. But uh, there's definite room to grow for Kamala, for Warren, 
and maybe uh, for uh, for Pete Buttigieg. I sat down with him, you know, uh, this weekend for my CNN Axe Files show. And, uh, you know, once again, he acquitted himself very, very well. He answers questions without the normal calculation time that candidates generally, um, you know, that awkward few seconds when they're trying to figure out the most politically palatable answer. He doesn't do that. He leaps right in. And and, uh, I thought he was impressive. We've talked in uh, in the past shows about these debates. Kamala Harris, Castro, they score, they punch. Buttigieg was very steady in the debate, and I asked him whether that wasn't, in fact, a liability. I think some of the made-for-television moments uh, can give you a little spike and then wear off. What people really want to know is, what are you about? And they're sizing us up, not just from one moment on television, but moment after moment, understanding who we are, what we're about, what we're going to do for them. And I think that's how we win. And I also think that it doesn't get more different from this president in temperament than somebody like me. Look, people are inclined to put an ideological lens on all of these things, right? Forgetting that the current president doesn't even have an ideology. So it's not a matter of finding his ideological opposite, although I very much uh, think it's important for America to have more progressive leadership than we've got right now. It's also finding somebody who can deliver a different style of leadership. So I think he's right about that. The question is, can he get there? Yeah, I'm. I I like the guy, but I, uh, if you don't show a certain amount of strength, I don't think you're going to be president of the United States. And while well, being the anti-Trump is clearly an advantage, being the anti-Trump to the ten thousandth power, and kind of being the McKinsey consultant in chief may not be enough because the Democrat primary voters, you know, they want a fighter. That's got to be part of the equation. Doesn't mean he has to be the best fighter, but I think he has to check that off and show a little strength. He also doesn't have a tremendous physical presence out there on the trail. So, you know, he, he's, he can be the smartest guy in the room, but they're, they're picking somebody to get in a brawl with a brawler. So he's got to at least have a couple of those moves, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of hybrid this thing. I think this is an interesting paradox because I, I bet you the majority of them, if, if there's a single argument that probably would get a majority, it's that people are tired of the fights. They're they're tired of being uh, divided on a daily basis of ugly back and forth every day. I do think an evenness would be good in a candidate running against Trump. You have to be strong. You have to be able to repel him. But whether that's something that flies among Democrats, you know, remains to be seen. Anyway, it was a it was a really good conversation. Anybody who wants to hear more of it uh, can hear it on my uh, Axe Files podcast. Uh, at luminary.link, L-I-N-K, slash The Axe Files. And I, I, I really recommend it because you do learn a lot about, uh, about Buttigieg in this conversation. He is very eloquent. I mean, as an arguer, um, he's a rare talent in terms of being able to uh, speak his message in a clear, concise way, which is the advantage that got him out of, like, double-A baseball into the show before there was even a debate. So he has chops, but I think he has to find a hybrid approach. Now, I, I want to go back to the poll for a second before we went to Mayor Pete, because I saw something interesting I wanted to also put a highlight on. 
if you combine first and second choice, and again, these national polls now are premature because the big stimulus uh, is going to be what happens in Iowa and New Hampshire. But still, there's enough saturation coverage. We learn a few things. And if you look at that combined number, Biden is at 36 and Warren is at 32. Uh, Harris is at 28 and Bernie's down at 25. And that tells me and Pete's, it's like four and a half candidates with Pete down there at uh, 15. Two things are really impressive to me. It is essentially on the national snapshot right now, Biden and Warren are about the same. They're really within the margin there, which shows the energy she's got. I agree that Kamala has interest in a way up. But Bernie, who's famous, has now kind of been bolted down, combined only a quarter of the vote, and he's a guy 90% of the people know about. So that is a horrible sign for the Sanders campaign, that he is really locked in a box. Biden has some of the same problem, but he's bigger. Um, but this is this is just showing that Elizabeth Warren is slowly like rust eating away uh, at at Bernie and some other support. So you can kind of start to see, as you were saying earlier, the structure of this thing shaking down. But but this Warren strength is impressive, and the the Harris opportunity is impressive. And then Pete, as we say, he's kind of like halfway there. Whether or not he can really yeah. break through, uh, he's going to have to win some. Yeah, we should mention that uh, CNN's going to publicly do their drawing uh, on Thursday for this next debate in Detroit at the end of the month on the 30th and 31st. This will be interesting because one of the things that happened last time through the luck of the draw, four of the top five we just mentioned were in one debate and Elizabeth Warren was in the other. uh, And, you know, the odds are that's not going to be the case here. And who is in what pairing? is going to, yep. I think, dictate a lot about these debates. And uh, so there'll be a lot of candidates watching with interest to see exactly who their sparring partners uh, will and be. CNN is doing this thing live Wednesday night. I think they've got indoor fireworks Thur- and Thursday, animatronic Thursday bird Thurs- parks. Oh, Thursday night. <laughs> Thursday <Yeah>. night. <laughs> but, you know, we're talking about this polling and how people can break into the race. But what you don't want is people breaking into your home. And so I wanted to say a few words about Simply Safe, uh, a home security system. According to studies, just over 10% of break ins are planned beforehand. The rest are spur of the moment, crimes of opportunity. In other words, random. Uh, so, Mike, did you know that most break ins happen between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. in the middle of the day? No, that actually surprised me because I remember when we were doing some of those governor races in Iowa, we'd run out of beer money around midnight. And we'd go pull a job. <laughs> yes. And when we do that, we we always thought it was only at night. But what we did know, it's a 300 percent difference between houses with or without. What I like about Simply Safe is it's technologically advanced. They protect every door, window and room with 24-7 professional monitoring. And they, they make it easy on you. No contract, hidden fees, 40 pages of fine print, all that stuff. And they've also got this video verification technology. You know, when other home security systems are triggered, a lot of the time police just assume it's a false alarm. And the call goes to the bottom of the list, but not with Simply Safe. Using their video verification technology, they're able to visually confirm that a break-in is happening. And that allows police to get to the scene three and a half times faster than other home security companies. So I would recommend that people go to simplysafe.com slash hacks right away. You're going to get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose, so go now. And be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash hacks so they know our show sent you. we got some bar bills to pay around here.
<laughs> That's simplysafe.com slash hacks. So we sat down with a friend a few weeks ago who is a breakout talent in his own right, Howard Wolfson, who everybody remembers as the uh, communications director for Hillary Clinton, uh, but really one of the uh, great political minds around, went to work for Mike Bloomberg in New York, became deputy mayor, uh, and continues to work with Bloomberg, including on his political projects. And we sat down with Howard to talk about why Bloomberg passed on the race and what the prospects for an independent candidate might be in the, in the fall of 2020. Howard Wilson, old friend, great to see you. Good to be with you. Mike Murphy, you know him. Another old friend. We've worked against and with each other. Yeah, I've seen I've seen you in a few dark alleys. <laughs> Creeping around. And somehow you were really comfortable in those alleys. I remember that. I, I was bludgeoned a few times in, in some of those alleys. Uh, I thought you might be working the alleys this year. Uh, your boss, Mike Bloomberg, uh, was uh, gave active consideration to running for president. Why didn't he run? We uh, looked at a lot of data. We did a lot of polling. Um, we did a lot of focus. That's your groups. thing, right? Data. A lot of data. My, it's Mike's thing. Um, and um, the data did not suggest that there was a path uh, for him. Um, the, um, the fact that, that you had uh, in Joe Biden someone who um, occupied some of the same um, ideological space that Mike would have occupied, I think would have made it a very tough race. And Biden, we saw, started out with some real significant equities um, that would have been difficult to overcome. Not impossible. And I think if um, someone had a different uh, risk tolerance, they might have run looking at the same data. There was a lot about Mike's biography that people liked and responded to. Um, He would have been an interesting and unusual candidate. Um, and well-funded. And certainly well-funded. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the party has moved to the left. It has not moved um, uh, quite as far to the left as some people would suggest, but it has moved to the left. And as a result, there are only so many votes available for a guy like Mike Bloomberg and with a guy like Joe Biden in the race. Very tough. He but, would have united the billionaires and the old white guys together, though, into a coalition that would have... All seven of those Democratic <laughs> voters would have Will, been will he endorse Biden? Will he be for him? Uh, I don't expect he's going to endorse anytime soon. Okay. Um, you, you talk about the Democratic primary. You eliminated the possibility of running as an independent. Why? Um, we also <laughs> looked at, at this extensively in 2016, and came to a very definitive conclusion. We probably looked at more data on a th- the possibility of a third-party run than anyone in the history of America. And you know, sometimes data is wrong, and sometimes data surprises you. Um, but w- we came to the conclusion that the only thing that somebody with Mike Bloomberg's profile could have done in 16 or, or would do in 20 is uh, compete for um, Democratic-leaning votes, uh, take Democratic votes away from the Democratic nominee, put blue states in play, possibly win New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, which, if you can imagine, would not be very helpful to the Democrat, and more than likely contribute to the election in 16 of Donald Trump. He won anyway, but the election in 16 of Donald Trump or the re-election of Trump in 20, which obviously the goal is to do the opposite. Yeah, that's the problem. The third party thing, the system is so hostile to it. Just the distribution system we have, because it's, you know, 100 years out of date, you can argue. And maybe when we get blockchain voting, that could all change. But 
it often you turn into a pulling guard for somebody else, even though you'd rather have the opposite. So it's if, a fantasy. I if think. if Mike's profile was closer to that of um, Ross Perot, it might have been a different dynamic. Yeah. Um, but you know, Mike is who he is, and he appeals to who he appeals to, and. Um, I think that the possibility of him splitting the anti-Trump vote with yeah. the Democrat would have been very Let odd. me ask you a question. Have you shared this uh, data with Howard Schultz? So, uh, in, so interestingly, Schultz never reached out to us, um, which you would think if you were going to spend a lot of your own money running for president, you would reach out to another guy who was thinking <laughs> of spending a lot of his own money to reach out, uh, reach out to us and discuss all that. He didn't. Um, Howard Schultz is different than Mike Bloomberg. He doesn't have the same philanthropic footprint. Um, he was never in elected office. But basically, you know, on a lot of the issues, they come down probably in similar places. And my guess is that um, if Schultz runs, he um, runns the risk of doing just well enough to throw the election to Trump. You know, I, I think his election, how, his, his run would be a disaster. Yeah, total opinion. disaster. And it was amazing how quickly even the kind of rank and file activists jumped to that. I mean, I've never seen a lead balloon collapse quite as quickly. And now he's in WITSEC. I haven't heard anything about him for, you know, months. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I doubt he'll run. D- but, uh, what is clear is that you have a president who has not touched 50% in approval rating. Never happened before uh, that a president never touches 50%. So it seems pretty clear that he has a high floor and a low ceiling and that Trump would benefit from having to have fewer than 50% of the vote to to win. So anybody, and we saw that in 2016, you know, you look at a state like Michigan that uh, Trump won by 11,000 votes and the uh, the number of votes third party candidates took in that race. And I think part of the project of the Trump campaign and maybe separately the Russians, but was to drive disaffected voters away from Hillary Clinton to some of these other candidates. So is Bloomberg going to play in this election? Um, so we obviously do, you guys did yo, uh, yeoman work for Democrats in 2018. We're involved in many of these congressional races and uh, some big wins there. So, you know, a guy with whatever number of more billions than most people I know uh, could make a uh, could make a difference. Um, he could make a difference. Um, I think we're going to think long and hard about the best way to make a difference. Um, one way we're going to make a difference is continue to focus on issues like the environment and guns. Um, I think it's fair to say that nobody has done more to promote the issue of gun safety in America than Mike Bloomberg. We continue to have these terrible mass shootings, and he's going to continue um, to be on the front lines of, of that issue. Um, he is going to massively accelerate the um, amount of money he's spending on the environment to to uh, deal with the issue of climate uh, change um, from a philanthropic perspective. So he's going to make an enormous difference um, philanthropically, and I think we're going to have to see what the best way we can make a difference politically. I, I assume that we will come to, to some idea, and we will, we will do our best to execute against it. As a Democratic hack, and that's an honorific in our world of long experience, what keeps you up at night worrying about whether or not Donald Trump will get reelected or not? Um, I worry about the the uh, the economy and the I mean, I, I, from a political perspective, yeah. I, I worry about the impact of a positive economy on Trump. I think that the 
Fed is going to do all it can to keep the economy humming. Um, they're already beginning to correct for the tariffs, which— He uh, certainly sent them a strong message that they should. Yeah, and, and it looks like they're going to. Um, bail them out. Bail them out. And, you know, the, you can argue that that may actually be the Fed's role, right? The, the, the Fed is not working for Donald Trump. They're working on behalf of the American people, and their job is to keep the economy in good shape. And so if the president is making catastrophic decisions, the Fed does need to correct. But the political impact of that will be to benefit Trump. Yeah, it's kind of hard to root against the economy. Correct. So, but um, bad policy begat bad policy because tariffs are bad policy. So then the Fed knocks the money down and, and props it up artificially. Short term, it might be good. The long term implications of it are bad. terrible. Yeah. But um, I think that they, you know, they've signaled now that they are looking at lowering rates, and that is clearly designed to put a little more stimulus into the system, given the the downward impact of the of the uh, tariffs. So I, I worry. You know, I, I'm rooting for the economy to do well, but again, from a political perspective, <laughs> but not to give him credit for it. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He should be worried about the look, primary outcome. This has been a ten-year expansion, but uh, I will say, uh, I will say this: um, it is peculiar to me that the economy is in the shape that it's in, with almost record low unemployment. Uh, you know, we've had ten years of growth in terms of employment. Um, and, uh, you know, he's still hovering there at 42, 43 percent of the vote. His economic approval rating is 12 points higher right. than his his which tells me, the you know, that feelings about Donald Trump overwhelm uh, even the economy. I think it's fair to say that a mainstream Republican with this economic record would be at 65 percent. And Donald Trump without this economy would be at 25 percent. And so the, the differential there is the economy. Because Trump is not going to change. He is No, he's the atomic he, clock of he Trump. Is go, he is going to be who he is. Yeah. Howard, we will uh, miss you out on the trail. But I suspect somehow you're going to be in some of those alleys before the end of this thing. You know, Axe, if I were going to hire somebody on a presidential campaign, I'd go right to Howard Wilson. I'd want him on my team. But that's an easy hire. It's harder when you want to go through hundreds of resumes. You want a lot of choices. It's not obvious. We all know how difficult it can be to go through stacks and stacks of paperwork, going to all the different websites. It can take over your life completely, which is why ZipRecruiter is a miracle. It used to be so hard, but their technology has made it so easy to go to one place and get what you want. ZipRecruiter.com slash hacks can tell you all about it. Yeah, this uh, ZipRecruiter is another place where technology has made life so much easier. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people, and who wouldn't want to work for you, Murphy? Thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never have to miss any of the great ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective, Mike, that four out of five of employers who post on it get quality candidates through the site within the first day. 
It's pretty amazing. And right now, our listeners, our special Hacks on Tap listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this special website. We're up all night coding it, so you want to get this one right. (laughs) ZipRecruiter.com slash hacks. That website, special for our listeners, ZipRecruiter.com slash hacks, H-A-C-K-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash hacks. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. One thing we haven't had a problem recruiting are letters uh, to our mailbag. Notes that you, the listeners, have sent in. They're all great, great questions. We're going to do a few right now. Uh, Angela uh, wrote in and said, It's been said that Barack Obama's campaign was a highly disciplined organization characterized by minimal leaks and discord. You mentioned that Biden's campaign staff have sometimes distanced themselves from the candidate when he made mistakes. Example, the Hyde Amendment stance in his debate performance. How did Obama and his campaign staff instill the discipline necessary for cohesive and consistent messaging? What does Biden need to do to manage his staff effectively? You know, uh, first of all, we weren't flawless and we had our stumbles, but everyone uh, involved understood the message uh, and uh, the the underlying motivation behind the campaign, and we're really committed to it. Remember when people signed up for that campaign? Barack Obama was not a uh, was not a front runner. He was uh, very much a challenger, and his uh, prospects were uncertain. But they signed up because they were attracted to him and a message that was already pretty well developed. Uh, the team around Biden is all new. Not clear what the message is. He tends to be quite insular. He has a group that's been with him for years and years and years, and they're still there. And then there's a ring around them of new people. And I just think that the uh, the whole thing has not congealed yet. He's tried this week. Uh, you probably saw this, Murphy. He's uh, He made a speech last week about foreign policy to try and engage Trump again. This week he's engaging his Democratic opponents by uh, taking a stance against the Medicare for all thing. But I, I just... I, I don't it hasn't come together yet for Joe Biden. Yeah, the campaign has a little bit of a mercenary vibe, which means people's first loyalty may not be to Joe Biden. It's up to him to create a culture where they feel totally bought in like you guys had with Obama. I think Biden's doing a little better. I think the pivot to foreign policy was a smart idea. And I think engaging on the health care issue was gold for somebody. And he's got the platform to do it. But this is a huge tell about campaigns. You know, the Bernie campaigns had a little of this leaking. The Kamala Harris one has. It'll be a big test for them if they can get over that as they they rise, if they do rise. But on the other hand, the Mayor Pete operation, the Elizabeth Warren operation, they've been very tight. And that is a good culture sign. It helps you win. So we're just we're just kind of see what happens. So we have a great question from Troy at our mailbag. Hey, guys, everybody's hair seems to be on fire, and our hair would be if we had hair, <laughs> uh, at the stark choice between centrist and far left in these Democratic primaries. But and this is in bold here. But isn't it common knowledge that the candidates swing left early to gather up primary voters, then craftily return somewhat more to the center in the general, what we used to call pivoting? Is it different this cycle? Well, here's the thing, Troy. That is the oldest trick in politics. You appeal to your primary voters, and once you have your base voters lined up because you won the nomination, they're tribally going to be with you. So you cruelly abandon them and go to the general. If you're too craven about that, you can get in trouble. But that is the idea of pivoting. The problem is that's a lot easier to do in tone and rhetoric than it is with hard issue positions like Medicare for all 
or potentially um, the, the decriminalizing crossing the borders. Once you raise a hand on video and you lock in in the primary, that is a hard ideological straitjacket to pivot out of later. And your other side, in this case the Repubs, are going to be working around the clock to make sure nobody forgets. So it, it, it is part of the formula, but you got to be careful about what you do in the primary because you can't completely erase it. And Kamala Harris's struggles with her multiple positions on some of this stuff is a good example of somebody who's trying both in the primary to score, which she's doing, but also to leave an escape path for the general election. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. And it may be why she's, you know, she's still hanging around as a potential for people as she fills in the picture. But she clearly is cognizant. Uh, she's thinking ahead to a general election, and she is not sure where she wants to plant her feet uh, on some of these things. And she's going to have to, she's going to have to figure that out. Here's one from Alex. What does Andrew Yang have to do to break into this race? I find his problem-solving solutions-driven uh, solutions-driven approach, alongside innovative policies and an overall positive disposition, very refreshing. What do you say, Murphy? It's tricky for somebody like Andrew Yang. In the national polling now, he's not even at the margin of error. Statistically, he doesn't exist. So you, you need to have the skills to work the process as a candidate. And he has not been a candidate. He's from the real world, which might be a good thing as far as qualifications to be a candidate. If you consider Silicon go, Valley the real world, yes. Well, that's true. Yeah, the semi-real world, but the innovative world. He, he's a mm-hmm. bright guy. He's, he's got one big idea, the guaranteed wage. His problem, though, is unless you've been to kind of the dinner theater of running for office and you know how to sing Man of La Mancha and move on the stage, you don't have those tools, you wind up like he did on the debate, being polite and smart and making absolutely no impact. So he has to learn how to be a candidate, which is what he has not done so far, to face the headwinds. You know, he clearly is uh, bright and he's been successful and he's stirred a lot. The fact that he was on that stage was quite remarkable when people like Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana, uh, was not. And that's a tribute to his efforts. But he spoke two and a half minutes in that debate and he really didn't say very much and squandered the opportunity that he had. I I would not uh, put a whole lot of chips on the Andrew Yang uh, winning this uh, nomination or the presidency. Uh, he's been an interesting candidate. He'll be on the debate stage again. He's going to have to do a hell of a lot more uh, to become a serious competitor in this race. So I'll give him one thing at the end of this, and I agree. I, I think he's going to uh, uh, not make it. But at the end, having gone through this experience, he will be a very formidable business executive or future local candidate because he's getting to go to the college of big-time politics. And you learn a lot often in your first campaign when you don't do so well. So it'll be, it'll be one of the most interesting experiences of the guy's life. And I always salute anybody who is not crazy who has the guts to run for office. So kudos to you, Andrew, for giving it a try. We have so many good questions here. Can't get to all of them. Really keep them coming uh, because uh, we appreciate it. You can reach us. What's the what's the address, Mike? The magic address is hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. So, Andrew, send us your question, anybody. We'd love to get them, and we, we love to try to answer them here on the podcast. And also, the way to help us get Hacks on Tap in front of new listeners, because face it, this is a tough racket. We're up against the Kardashians. So we need we need to get the word out. And there are two ways you can do it. On any podcast platform that you prefer to listen to, Give us a rating. Click the little thing. Type in a few words. Give 
give us a review. Hate it, love it, whatever you think. We'd love to hear from you. And that helps the algorithm on the iTunes site or other places put Hacks on Tap in front of other listeners. All right, last call quickly. My last call is pretty simple. We got a lot of debates coming. Let's try one with no audience. Let's just put them in the fish tank and let them work. Nixon, Kennedy, the old school. The audience is important. It's part of a test of what makes a good candidate. But alone with a TV camera and each other and some tough questions, that is compelling television. I think it would be a good service to see how they perform under a no audience debate. So mine is about uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. You know, she, I think as someone who just evinces sheer ambition, there's nobody in the race who can top her. But in terms of the standing in the polls, she's an asterisk. And uh, I thought she was one of the most aggressive candidates in the debate, uh, always defaulted to herself and what she had accomplished. I don't think it was an effective technique. And I don't really know what her future is in this race. She insists she's going to break through. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't either. I think based on the polling, the best thing that could happen would she get on the short list for John Delaney's vice president, who's actually a point and a half ahead of her. But because I'm still getting emails about telling Elizabeth Warren to smile, let me show my neutrality by also calling on Seth Moulton to get out of the race. I, I don't think either have a path. Let him get back to work in their real jobs as congressperson and senator. That's last call. And uh, always good to be with you, brother. We will uh, chat next week. All right, man, take care. It was fun. See you next week. <laughs>